All right. Good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? Hey, welcome to the house. It's so good to have all of our Faith Church family here in Florence. My name is Steve Husky, lead pastor. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Can we show some love and welcome our Faith Church family in Lawrenceburg and in the Shoals? Everybody else watching online, let's go, somebody. All right. Second row pom-poms, let's go. Hey, we say it every week. Come on, we believe that Jesus, who is he? He's the hope of the world. So whoever you are, whatever you're going through, your issue, your hurt, your heartache, your habit, we believe if you open up your life to Jesus, it'll be the greatest decision you've ever made. How many people already know that's true? Come on, make some noise. Well, here we are, football season. It's that time of the year. Where's my football fans at again? Had a good day yesterday. I mean, a lot of, lot of big teams played a bunch of nobodies. Ohio State beat Florence, city school. Alabama beat Lauderdale County. It was good. A lot of wins yesterday, a lot of big wins. Some people didn't, have, didn't do so well. Our Auburn, sorry. Our local hometown heroes, UNA Lions, had a tough loss. Somebody said first service, Pastor, you, quit, you, you keep forgetting to mention uh, Georgia, and that's on purpose. Them boys look bad to the bone. So we're just going to leave them out of the conversation. Well, listen, we're in week two of a series we started last week entitled Game Day. And where we're going in this conversation is uh, this idea of a stadium and what happens on game day and looking at how those things correlate with our spiritual journey, right? We live in football territory. It's football season. And so football is a common metaphor for, again, just our life, our faith, and our walk with God. And so last week, talking about the stadium, we looked at the stands. And here's what we said last week. We said the fans are in the stands. Where are my fans at? We're talking not about the fair weather fans. We're talking about full-on fanatical followers of Jesus, people who are sold out, who are passionate, who are promotional, people who are in it to win it. That's what God calls us to. He calls us to a level of following that radically changes our lives. Today, we're going to talk about the box. And here's where we're going to go. The coach, everybody say it, the coach is in the box. The coach is in the box. If you watch the game of football, if you're familiar, you know that there is a coach's box Obviously not the lead coach, not the head coach, but oftentimes there are coaching staff up there, sometimes the defensive coordinator. And the reason they sit in the box is they have a perspective of the field that you can't get on the sideline. And they're able to see what the other team is up to, what play they're about to run, that they can call the correct play to try to shut it down. So the coach is in the box. The coach has the ability to call the play on the field. And here's a question I want to ask for us today as we get into week two is, who's calling the plays in your life? Who has the authority to call an audible? Who sets the direction of your life? Who sets the relationship direction? Who calls the financial plays in your home? Who determines the career path that you're on, right? I think all of us have a place for a coach. Coaches hold a pretty important place, right? A good coach has the ability to spot your weakness, a good coach has the ability to develop your strengths, to hold you accountable. A good coach has the ability to leverage your talent, to put you in a winning position, to develop a winning strategy. And when I talk about coaches, if you're not a sports fan, that's true anywhere. If you have a career coach, if you have a physical fitness coach, if you have a financial coach, whatever coach you have, all of the coaches do the same thing. Again, they have the ability to look into your life and see strengths and weaknesses and help you go to a whole nother level of living. And I just want you to know today, I believe with all of my heart when it comes to coaching, that in the area, the field of faith, if you want, I want you to hear this today, that Jesus should be the coach of every Christ follower. 
Jesus should be the one who has the authority in our life to direct our plays, to call the path, to determine what we do in life. Jesus should be the coach of every Christ follower. Come on, can I get somebody to make some noise today? Jesus is the coach. Jesus is the coach. The question is, what happens when we don't concede to our coach? What happens when we don't submit our lives to his playbook? We're going to look at a story today. It's found in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's a pretty well-known story if you've been in church for a while or you're reading your Bible, which I hope you are. It's a story known as, it's titled, The Story of the Rich Young Ruler. Now, this guy is absolutely incredible. He, is, he jumps off the page as a modern-day success story, as a modern-day uh, person that we would celebrate in our culture. The rich young ruler, if you read all accounts of his life, that's where they get that idea. He's a rich young ruler. He's a 3P player. 3P player, he is somebody who's prosperous. He's got money. He's got a Bugatti in the driveway. He's in his prime. He's young. He's got six-pack abs. He's got no wrinkles. He looks good. And he's prominent. He's somebody important in the community, a 3P player. If he was alive today, he would be on people's uh, cover of Sexiest Man Alive. If the rich young ruler was alive today, he would be on the Forbes wealthiest, at least in Jerusalem list. He would definitely be The Bachelor. That show some of you watch that shouldn't watch with all the drama, the girls clawing each other's eyes out to get to the one guy. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Just don't look at me if you watch the show. The 3P player, this guy is pretty prominent. He's important. He would have a verified account on Instagram. He would have a celebrity status account on Facebook. This guy is somebody that a lot of our culture would look up to. And this guy has an encounter with Coach Jesus that I want us to look at. The story I'm going to read is found in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. And here's how it starts. It says, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man, the rich young ruler, the prosperous man in his prime that's prominent, came running up to him and he knelt down and he asked, everybody read this with me. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I love the way this story starts and If nothing else, I want you to hear this today, that I think this is how we should approach Jesus. This is how we as people of faith should approach every encounter with God. Notice that this man, even though he's important, he's prominent, he comes running and he kneels down at the feet of Jesus. He comes hungry and he comes humble. Everybody say that. He comes hungry and he's humble. And I just want you to know, I believe that if every time you come to church, every time you get in worship, Every time you pray a prayer, every time you peel back the pages of scripture and you get into devotion, if you'll come hungry and you'll come humble, if you'll come saying, God, I need an encounter with you, I need the living water, God, I need you to fill me up, and you come humble to surrender yourself, I believe you'll have an encounter each and every time that'll radically change your life if you'll come to him that way. This dude really is a model, it seems, as he sets off to have something pretty fanatical happening in his life. And so it says this, again, he asked the question, and I don't want you to lose lose your eye off the ball today. Here's the question. Good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What is my responsibility? What is, what's the weight on my shoulders? What's my decision? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And notice what Jesus says. Mark chapter 10, verse 18, Lawrence Berg shows everybody here, let's read this together. Here's the answer. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only God is truly good. Now, here's what's interesting is Jesus does something really important that we can learn from just in life. 
Have you ever had a conversation with somebody, probably your wife, and you find out halfway through the conversation you're not talking about the same thing? <laughs> like you're not really listening. I've asked my wife, my wife will actually tell me something in a conversation and halfway through the conversation, I ask her the question which she already answered, which reveals I'm not really paying attention to the conversation. And so Jesus, before he answers, this is the most important question you will ever ask. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And so what Jesus does is he recalibrates the conversation. He says, listen, before I answer your question, let's make sure we're talking about the same thing. Let's make sure we're on the same wavelength. Let's make sure we're communicating. Good communication is this. If what I say doesn't equal what you hear, we're not communicating. So this man comes up and he says, hey, good teacher. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And so notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, hey, why do you call me good? There's only one who's truly good, and that's God. What Jesus is doing is two things. One, he's defining what this guy means by good because it might be different from what Jesus means by good. Let me tell you what I mean, what I mean by that. So last, uh, last week, we went to a restaurant. I'll give him a shot because we had a great experience. There's a new restaurant. I believe it's fairly new called Salt in Muscle Shoals. If you've not eaten there, it's, it's a great, for me, it was probably one of the best steaks I've had here in the Shoals area. It was absolutely a great experience. We loved it. And so when I walked out, I said, you know what? Mm, that was a good steak. And this past week, not only did I just have a good steak last weekend, but this past week, it was my wife, and I've already said it and I already caught heat for saying it publicly, so it's already out there. It was my wife's 50th birthday. Can you give it up for my queen? <laughs> Happy birthday. And so I had a good steak and I got to celebrate a good bride. And just this morning, we got to gather together and we got to lift our hands and we got to sing and we got to celebrate a good God. So let's just recap this last week, three goods in my life. I had a good steak. I got to spend time with a good wife and I got to celebrate and worship a good God. Would you dare say or think for a minute that those goods are the same? That I'm comparing the goodness of God with the goodness of a steak? Absolutely not. So what Jesus is doing is he's saying, hey, before you say you call me good teacher, I want you to really recognize what you're calling good. Because there's only one, the highest standard of good is God. So if you're going to come to me for the answer, if you're going to attribute to me the highest praise, you better make sure I'm the one who's going to give you the truest answer. See, the second thing Jesus is doing, this is great. Jesus is giving this 3P player a respect check. You know what a respect check is? A respect check is if you have, if you have kids in your house, all my parents, Lawrenceburg and Shoals, have you ever had one of your kids get mouthy with you? Show some disrespect? Now, they don't do it with me because they know I will kill them and make another one look just like them. <laughs> but they, you know, through the years, especially when they were younger, you know, they would have their moments of trying to find their independence and they would get mouthy to Shauna. And anytime I would hear my kids get disrespectful to my bride, this is what I would say. Who are you talking to? Which is my way of giving a respect check. You better check yourself before I wreck yourself. That's the mother of the house. That's the queen of the neighborhood. You better, you better respect who you're talking to. What Jesus was saying, this guy comes up and asks this important question. What do I have to do? to inherit eternal life. And before Jesus answers the question, he says, I want you to know who you're talking to. That way, when you recognize who it's coming from, you'll take it, you'll take it as the gospel. Recognition should lead to submission. When you recognize who Jesus is, when you recognize he's the king, when you recognize he's the Lord, if you really believe that he is the coach of every single Christ follower, then we should come and submit ourselves to the answer he gives and the play that he calls. Come on, somebody, he's our coach. So Jesus says, I'm going to give you the answer. 
but you better know who it's coming from so you can know it's the best answer. And then he gives the answer. Check it out. Verse, 10, uh, verse 19. But to answer your question, so now we know who you're talking to and you know who you're talking to. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. So in order to answer this question, hey, what do you have to do? What do I have to do? What do we have to do to inherit eternal life? He throws the Old Testament playbook, the Decalogue. He says, you got to run these plays. And if you don't know, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, is the summation of the Old Testament law. And it's broken down into really two categories. It's not five and five, it's six and four. The first four commandments of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, are how we love God. And we love God by not having any other gods, by not, not having any idols, by not taking God's name in vain, and by honoring this day of recognition to God called the Sabbath. And then the other six is how we love people. And if you love a person, if you really love somebody, you're not going to steal from them. You're not going to lie to them. You're not going to want what they have. And so four and six is how to love God and how to love people. And I love it because Jesus drops, notice, he drops the last six. Now, let me just ask a question in these, in these six. How are you doing keeping the Decalogue? Notice this guy's response. I think it's pretty funny. Jesus throws out the six. Hey, don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. And notice what he says, verse 20. Teacher, the man replied. What happened to word good? Just <laughs> thought. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. You just lied, fool. Wait a minute, you're telling me that you think, that you believe you've been following all the commandments every day since you was a kid? Let's just do an in-house evaluation. He's not here to defend himself, so let's put ourselves on trial. How many people in this room in Lawrenceburg and Shoals, by a show of hands, just being honest and vulnerable because we all make mistakes, how many of you in this room have ever lied before? Raise your hand. All right, let's do another one. How many people have ever stolen anything in your life? Raise your hand. I love it because you always get less hands. You already admitted you're liars. You might as well raise your hand. You're thieves too. <laughs> Listen, when you got to work 10 minutes late and you, told, you slid in the side door so your boss wouldn't see you and you told everybody who's on time, you lied and then you done stole time from the company. So you're a liar and a thief. Oh, it's getting real today. And then Jesus raises the bar. He says, if you want what your neighbor has, you don't have to take it. You've already stole it in your heart. If you lust after the bachelor, you don't have to sleep with him. You've already committed adultery in your heart. You got bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred in your heart towards a person, a people group, a family member, a neighbor, a Karen in your life. You've already committed murder in your heart. So here's what I think this guy's doing. There's no, there's no way this, what this guy is saying is I've kept, I've kept all of them from my, he's saying I've, I've, I've never had a false snap. I've never been off sides. I've never thrown an interception. You're telling me you've been playing the game of life and you've never had a miscue. You've never wrong, ran a wrong play. There's absolutely no way. I think what he is saying is what many of us would say. And it's this is I'm not perfect, but I'm better than most. I've not broken the law near as much as she has. I'm not near as bad as he is. So I would say this, I'm good enough. Remember his question? How good do I have to be? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And I think he already thought he had the answer. He thought the answer was good enough. 
I'm good enough. Are you good enough to save yourself? Are you, have you done enough to inherit eternal life? See, the purpose of God's law was never for you to keep it and be perfect. Did you know that? I'm not saying we shouldn't strive to honor God. I'm not saying we shouldn't do the right thing, the ethical thing, the biblical thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't run God's playbook in our life. What I'm telling you is the purpose of the law, the whole purpose of the Old Testament was to show us we needed a New Testament. The whole purpose of the law was to show us we needed a Savior. Here's the way Paul says it. Everybody read this with me, every voice. God's law was given, why? So that all people... All people, American people and Jewish people, 21st century people and first century people, all people, how many people? All people could see how sinful they were. See, I'm like you. When I wake up in the morning, I wanna live an upright life. I wanna do the right thing. My goal every day is to be perfect in every facet of the game. Denzel Washington. I want to live life right. I want to do the right thing. But every night when I lay my head on my pillow, I recognize I dropped the ball. I missed a snap. I missed an assignment. I threw an interception. Every day I recognize where I have fallen short. And so my effort to do the right thing shows me that I don't always have the ability to do the right thing, which means I need some help. And here's another one. Watch this. So the purpose of the law is to show us we're broken. Listen to this says in James, here's how James said it. It says, for the person who keeps all of the laws, except how many? Just one. Is as guilty as a person who's broken all of God's laws. So this guy's saying, hey man, I've done pretty good. And and Jesus would point to this and say, hey, if you, to, to break the law, to be a lawbreaker, you only have to break one law one time and you're a lawbreaker. If you lie one time, what does that make you? A liar. You don't have to keep lying to be a liar. You just lie one time, you're a liar. You don't have to steal one thing to be a thief. And you only have to break one law one time to be a lawbreaker. And this is what he's pointing to is this idea like, hey, I don't care how much you've done good in your life. Good can never be good enough outside of the goodness that God offers us. Think about this. I, uh, y'all know this. I talk about this from time to time. I, I have been pulled over a couple times in my life. There's a road right over here. This is a warning. I know we have police officers here and I hate that I'm giving up your secret, but Colby Lane is a, is a trap. And I have been pulled over three times on that road. And it's just a little stretch of road and uh, they take speed serious. And so the last time I was pulled over, it's been a couple years, but I was rolling along and I came to a stop sign and I rolled the stop sign. Rolling the stop sign means you almost stopped. And so I come up to the stop sign and there's nobody coming. So I kind of just roll through it and boop, boop, boop. I'm like, (laughs) you always think for half a second, if I punch it, I might be able to get away. (laughs) You don't think that? Neither do I. Anyways. (laughs) Now imagine if the police officer comes to my window, knocks on the window, I roll it down. Yes, officer. Can I have your license registration and proof of insurance? I can give you my license and registration, but my insurance card has been expired since 1996, but I swear I have some. Anybody with me? And so he goes back, he comes back, he says, Mr. Husky, the reason I pulled you over is because you rolled the stop sign back there. Now imagine if, even though he accused me and accurately so of breaking one of the laws, what if I told him, for sure, officer, I broke that one law, but when I left my subdivision, it's 20 miles an hour in my subdivision. If you know me, that's hard going underneath 20, but I did it, I only did 19, and I used my turn signal at every stop, and I didn't cross any double yellow. Officer, I kept every other law today. He would say, that's great, Mr. Husky, but here's your ticket 
for rolling the stop sign. See, it doesn't matter how much you are good all the other times. It's the fact that all of us have broken the law at least once. And if you've broken it just once, you're as guilty as the person who breaks it every single time. So when you ask the question that this man asks, what can you do? What do you have to do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. Because you have two options. I have two options. And the rich young ruler, this 3 P player, he had two options. Be perfect or be forgiven. You have two options to get eternal life. You have two options to make it heaven. You have two options to be reconnected to your creator. And that's be perfect or be forgiven. Well, we've already established we can't be perfect. That's what the law showed us but we get to be forgiven. What does it mean to be forgiven? It's this idea that Jesus, God's son, he wore our jersey on the field of life and we got the credit for his stats and his win. Jesus lived the life we couldn't live. He played the game we couldn't play. He won the game we couldn't win. He got the victory we couldn't get and he gave us the credit. It was attributed to our account. Come on, somebody. The coach played the game for us and we got the win. Come on. And so if you're here and you've never heard that, what can you do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. The more you try, the more you show. You need eternal life. And eternal life is a gift that God gives through the sacrifice of his son when we put all of our hope and all of our faith in him being the coach of our life. That's who he is. And then watch this. It says this, Mark chapter 10, verse 21. It's almost like Jesus skims by this false idea that he's kept all these commandments his entire life. Says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. That's so important. If you're here and somebody told you that God's mad at you, God hates you, God's upset at you, God does not honor sinful lifestyles. God is dishonored and displeased when we live life outside of his rule book. But in the midst of our struggle and in the weight of our shame, he still looks at you and feels love for you. Never get lost in the feeling of shame. Get lost in the fact that he looks at you with compassion. It means he never gives up. So in the midst of this guy's false idea that he's good enough, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him, genuine compassion. And then he says this, everybody read it. This is important. There is still one thing you haven't done. He said, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Now, Jesus does not have an issue with money. He doesn't have an issue. If you have money, if you have a lot of money, Jesus has no issue with wealth. All that you have comes from God. I don't know if you knew that. It's not yours, it's his. You're just stewarding it, which means he gave it to you. So if you have a lot, it's because he gave you a lot. So he don't have a problem with the amount he gave you. It was his choice. He doesn't have a problem with you having a lot of money. What he has a problem with is money having you. And this man's issue, what we find out is he couldn't let go of his wealth to follow Jesus. While he could run the stealing playbook and the lying playbook, he refused to run the money playbook. He refused to listen to the coach. And again, if you're going to be a Christ follower, listen, if you're going to love Jesus, you got to allow Christ to be the coach of your life. And Jesus says, hey, there's one thing. This is so big. Let's just give this guy credit. Let's say he kept all those other commands. Jesus says there's still one thing. What is the one thing in your life? What's the one thing in your life that's out of order? What's the one hurt that you need to let go of? What's the one area that maybe you've been doing things on your terms that you need to bring underneath the authority of your coach? You know, say, Jesus, man, I've been doing life my way too long. And see, it's hard to see that sometimes when you start catching a spiritual rhythm in life, 
Some of you, like there was a time you weren't in church and now you're here and you're here more often. And some of you got on a serve team and now you're a kingdom builder and you're giving money. And like you see this, this shift and change in your life as you're living more for Jesus. And I celebrate that. And that's a wonderful thing, but never allow your momentum or your spiritual journey to a better place of success, keep you from going to the next level. Evaluation should lead to elevation. When Jesus had a hard conversation with this man, the goal wasn't just to celebrate what he was getting right. It was to evaluate say there's still an area. It's only one thing. You might be doing well in every other, but there's still one thing. Everybody shout one thing. There still can be one thing in your life that's not surrendered to the coach where he's not calling the plays and he still wants to be the coach in that area. What's the area in your life? And this guy, man, he is, he is so overwhelmed. And I think coaches, I, I'd say this, um, players, if you ever played the sports, any sports, or you know some players, they tend to see only what they do right. Players tend to be divas, don't they? They see how good they are. They see how important they are to the team. This is why you need a coach because a coach, a coach has the ability to see past a personal perspective of perfection. Sometimes some, it's easy for us to see what we do right. Sometimes it's very difficult to see what we do wrong. And so Jesus has this perception that he can see. That's why it's the coach's box. See, God has a perspective of your life. God knows where you were at yesterday. He knows everything you've gone through. He knows what's happening right today. And not just that, he knows what's going on. He knows the plan that he has for your life. He knows the next step that he wants you to move into. And that's why he's the best person to be the coach of our life. You can't coach yourself because you don't have the perspective of the coach's box. God has an eternal perspective. He's got wisdom and he has discernment and he has knowledge that you and I cannot and do not have. And it positions him because of his love for us and his perspective of our life to make the hard calls. So this man is like, he's just overwhelmed. But I don't think it's just him. I think sometimes it's easy for doctrinal divas, not just athletic divas. You know what a doctrinal diva is? A doctrinal diva are church people who start living a certain level and they start getting some things right and then they start ignoring the things they're getting wrong. Hey, baby, but I got my worship on. We tend to look at the areas of our life that we're doing right, that we're aligning to God. And sometimes it's easy to miss the one thing. What is the one thing? that if you were the person standing in front of Jesus, he would put his finger on. See, I know this idea of his money. See, that was the first commandment. Remember he said, I've kept them all. He kept the six. He didn't keep number one. What was number one? Number one, no other gods. He had a God, it was his money. Money was his Messiah. It's easy in our culture. It's hard for us to imagine this idea of having other gods. Like our mindset is like first century, like people who are, carrying around little idols in their pocket. We think that's not us. We're not carrying around idols in our pocket, but we have just as much guilt at times of making other things the coach of our life, making them the God of our life rather than Jesus the coach. And it's not always money. I'm gonna give you two things and you'll make you unhappy that I say it, but I'm gonna say it because I feel like it's what Lord laid on my heart to say. It's two things I think, and there are lots, but two things primarily that I think we are guilty of as a culture of making the modern day coach and God of our life. The thing that gets to call the plays and it's family and it's technology. It's family and it's technology. Family is one of the most important things that you can ever have, one of the most valuable things God has ever given us. The ability to have a spouse stand by your side and children to raise and a family to be around is absolutely precious and should be treasured second to following Jesus. But when your family, your parents, your kids start dictating the pace and the direction of your life, they have become God. And let's talk about technology because I'm guilty of this myself. Think about 
carrying idols, a lot of us, we carry a cell phone in our hand that captures 24-7 attention of our time. Think about the amount of time that we give to our cell phones. Think about the things that we watch. I'll be honest, I'm on TikTok and it comes by so fast. I watch it. You probably shouldn't have watched it, but now you watch it, it starts coming up in your algorithm and we just keep getting on. And I'm just telling you, it's just easy to miss the one thing because I'm doing better than everybody else. I'm the, I'm the franchise player. I got a lot of things under control. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You can't contribute anything to eternal life. It's only a gift. But once you become a player on my team, there's still some stuff I want to deal with. Is Jesus, is he the coach of your life? Can he point to the one thing? And the Bible says this about this man when he gets confronted with this one thing. And this man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. He couldn't let go. He couldn't give God the playbook. He couldn't run the play that Jesus wanted him to run. See, I think at the end of the day, I don't think this guy ever came to Jesus for correction. I think he wanted affirmation. I think he wanted to show up at Jesus and fall at his feet and say, Jesus, what do I got to do? And I think he thought Jesus would say, dude, you already got it together. You're a 3 P player. You absolutely, you got prosperity. You got your prime. You're prominent. You already got it going on. I think he was waiting for Jesus and the 12 disciples to put him on his shoulders and celebrate him around town. Hey, this is the guy you want to be like. And Jesus didn't celebrate him. Jesus didn't affirm him. He corrected him. And I'm just telling you, the church, us as a body and us as individuals, we don't always need affirmation. Sometimes we need correction. It's correction that can lead to affirmation. It's Jesus getting up in our mess and putting his finger on the one thing saying, you got to get that in order. You got to get that marriage right. You got to get that heart issue under order. You got to run the play that I have for you. And when we bring our life and we concede underneath our coach, what does it mean to concede to our coach, a biblical way to say it is the Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of Christ, that he is the Lord of our lives. And because of who you are, you have the right to dictate the direction and the destiny of my life. And I'll run every play you call. And the reason it's hard is because we live with a current tension in our culture that says, do what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. Well, while culture says, do what makes you happy, God says, do what brings him glory. And those two things are often diametrically opposed. If I always did what made me happy, I would rarely do what honors God. And oftentimes, while it's hard to do what honors God in the moment, I find it always is what makes me happy. And to wrestle past that tension and say, God, if I'm doing a lot right, but I just got one thing, Lord, let me bring that one thing underneath my coach. Let me run the play that you have for my life. Here's what Jesus says. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? If you're gonna call me your coach, you gotta run my play. If you're gonna call me the coach of your life, you're gonna call me the Lord of your life, then you gotta come really hungry and really humble. This man walked away because he refused to submit to the coach. So I asked a question when we started, who's calling the plays in your life? I wanna just give all of our Faith Church family at all of our campuses, I wanna just give you a minute to think about that. Who's calling the plays in your life? Is it you? Is it your passion? Is it your desires? What makes you happy? Is it the culture we live in that is determining the direction of your life? Who's calling the plays? 
Who's calling the audible? And Jesus should be the coach of every single Christ follower. I mentioned last week, I'm a Browns fan. I got to give them a shout out. They won their home opener for the first time since 2012. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, I celebrate your Alabama Roll Tide and your War Eagle. And Come on, make some love for my Cleveland Browns. I need a dog, hometown dog pound. Let's go. But here's what's funny. I told you last week, every, every year we get in this, this idea, like this is the year. They finally got somebody in the draft. They finally brought a player on board. This is the year. 2012, I don't know if you recognize the name. But they got a guy, a young, talented receiver by the name of Josh Gordon. 2012 Cleveland Browns. And he came in with a lot of hype and already his rookie year, man, he started putting up crazy numbers. People started to say that he was gonna be the next Jerry Rice. It's incredible to watch him play, but not long into the year, he started having disciplinary problems. 2013, his second year in the league, he was suspended the first two games. This guy with incredible potential. The ceiling for his life was Jerry Rice. Missed the first two games of 2013. And even though he missed the first two games, his second year, sophomore year as a Cleveland Brown as a wide receiver, he broke seven franchise records. Most yards in a game, most yards in a season, most receptions in a game, most receptions in a season, most games with 100 yards plus. Uh, only NFL player in history to have two consecutive back-to-back 200-yard games. Incredible. And I think he just thought like, hey, baby, I'm the three-peat player. I have so much going for me. And he had one thing. And he just refused to listen to the coaches. And he got in drug problems and girl problems and relationship problems. And his life just spiraled. And he missed his 2014 season and 2015 season because of suspension. Missed half of his 2016 season, came back, got suspended again. And since then, 2017, 18, 19, 20, 21, and this year, he's been in the league and he is absolutely horrible. He has gotten less. If you combine the last five seasons, receptions, yards, or touchdowns, they do not equal any of them in totality, even his rookie year. See, what I'm telling you is like, sometimes it's easy to look at our life and feel like, hey, we got some things right and miss the one glaring thing that's keeping us from living the life that Jesus has for us. So what's your one thing? The only way to experience a champion's game day is to follow the coach's game plan. Who's your coach? I'm gonna give us a minute as we pray. And if you're here today and Jesus is not the coach of your life, he's not the savior of your life, he's not the Lord of your life. I think just through a moment of meditation and confession, there's some things that can radically change right here in this moment. This man walked away sad. He missed the opportunity to concede to the coach. What if all of us in this room and all of you in Lawrenceburg and all of you in Shoals, what if today we make the humble surrender conceded decision to say you're my coach i think things could change and we could see some game day victories so father we come in the name of jesus god forgive us for all the times we ran our own plays god forgive us for all the times we did life our own way god today we submit we surrender and we concede ourselves to coach of all time jesus father we pray god that you will help us to follow you, to humble ourselves before you. God, to run the plays, to live the life that you've called us to live. God, we surrender ourselves. God, we pray, God, point your finger on the one thing of our life. 
And Lord, I pray for any person who's hearing this. If you're not the Lord, if you're not the Savior, God, there's nothing we can do to earn eternal life. There's nothing we can do to contribute to it. We can either be perfect or we can be forgiven. So Lord, since we're imperfect, we come to you today and we ask you, Lord, that you'll forgive our sin. We come and we recognize that you played the game on our behalf. You got the victory on our behalf. And we put all of our hope and all of our trust in you as our Savior. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees said amen. Come on, let's give God some praise, church.